Good afternoon, podcast listeners. Today is Tuesday, March 28th. I am Delaney Howell, and joining me is my co-host, Mike Pearson. Mike, how are you doing today? <sighs> I'm tired of the gray weather. Delaney, I need it to be sunny. I need yeah, it to be a little bit warmer. And uh, I did just hear on the uh, on the road today, they're talking potential of two inches of rain tomorrow for central Iowa. Great. That's exactly. I, I guess it's better than snow, so I'll take it. It's better than snow, but I tell you what, I was out uh, doing chores this morning, and I've got my cows kind of out in a pasture while we redo the feed yard, and uh, <laughs> I was out in the tractor, and it's still so muddy from the rain we had what two days ago, that uh, mm-hmm. when I got out of the tractor, I had gone so deep into the mud that both steps on my cab ladder were covered in. Um, I'm going to call it mud. It's a family-friendly podcast. It was not mud. <laughs> and it was, you know, oh. yeah, it was gross. So the uh, car wash owner in town is going to love me when I roll in to hose that bad boy off here. And well, I guess I'm I bet roll, they will. wait until the rain goes away. So Delaney, what about you? Anything going on in uh, your world? Well, I got some uh, homework I need to do later for my, I'm still working on my master's degree and I need to catch up on that a little bit, but other than that, it's not looking too bad. Well, good. Anything uh, exciting jumping out at you in the world of uh, big picture news events? Of course, there are always big picture things to talk about. I think one thing worth mentioning right away is that President Trump is, with his proposed budget cuts for 2017, one of the big things that he wants to take out is a fund that was going to be used for avian influenza. So in 2015, Congress allocated $1 billion to help fight that avian influenza epidemic that was going on. And so now with the USDA proposed budget cuts, there were still 80 to $90 million remaining from that $1 billion that Congress gave to fight avian influenza. And so as part of those budget cuts, he wants to take out that 80 to $90 million and allocate it somewhere else, which is a little scary what with the um, outbreaks or potential outbreaks that are happening in Georgia, Wisconsin, Kentucky, Alabama, Tennessee. And Georgia has also now been added to the list of countries that are not allowed to be traded overseas. So the, the meat from Georgia poultry can no longer be exported. Is that what's going on? Right. Yes. There oh. are seven countries, according to USDA listings, um, that have now imposed restrictions on poultry from Georgia. Actually, I take that back. Just this, a couple counties in Georgia, but potential of the whole state, you know, here if, if outbreaks keep occurring. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's tough. And you know, you got to wonder if they take away that fund, if there will be another reauthorization from Congress for another billion dollars, or if it's just right. up a creek. Yeah, it'll be uh, interesting to see what goes through here. And like and like I said, it's just a proposed cut. We don't know that it's going to go through yet, but it is something to watch. That's true. You know, I think uh, we probably need a little bit of bright news. And it's interesting when we look at agriculture, particularly over the past year, it, we've seen tight margins. It's Things have not been quite as fun as they were 10 years for the past 10 years. But for the broader economy, when we take a step back... People are feeling confident, and that was really driven home today when uh, the Consumer Confidence uh, Survey was released, and it has surged to a 16-year high in March. Uh, You know, unemployment is down. People are taking home a little bit more money, and I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that 
we do anticipate some changes to come through with uh, bringing back regulations, with cheaper power as crude oil continues to fall. So the broader economy is feeling very, very excited, and that helped give the uh, stock market a little bit of a boost uh, this morning when that was released. I have some good news to add on to that as well. Ooh, let's hear it. Last year in Sep- yeah, well, last year in September, China finally um, relinquished or took the ban off U.S. beef. And so nothing's really been done up until this point to try and get U.S. beef into China. But President Trump has a meeting or a dinner, I should say, with President Xi Jinping, which is China's president, early next month. And so he released a statement saying he's planning to serve the Chinese president, U.S. beef. And so the National Cattlemen's Beef Association, the U.S. Meat Export Federation and the National or the North American Meat Institute sent a letter Monday to the White House pleading that he talks about U.S. beef and trying to work on that relationship with China to get beef as an import for China. And, you know, with Branstead going over there here soon to be the um, ambassador for the U.S., I think, uh, you know, hopefully we'll see U.S. beef get into China's market here over the next year or so. Yeah, I certainly hope so. You know, there's been uh, so much enthusiasm about getting beef into China and what that would do for our demand market would be incredible. But yeah, we just need a couple spokespeople over there. We need to serve some delicious corn-fed, well-marbled ribeyes on some Mm -hmm. of those tables there at fancy state dinners in China. And I've got a feeling they'll be hooked. I think so, too. And what with the Brazilian beef scandal going on, you know, I think it's safe to say that the U.S. has some high quality beef. And so hopefully China will feel wined and dined after their meeting here. Yeah, wined and dined and then want to dine some more and uh, send us a big order. Yes, that's right. Now, uh, so I know that we've spent uh, a couple of times this week talking to our analysts. We did it last week as well. Consumer. Now, what am I saying? The uh, quarterly stocks estimates, quarterly grain stocks and prospective plantings reports are coming up on Friday. I just wanted to give just a quick update on where things sit today with uh, analyst expectations. So let's look at U.S. quarterly grain stocks first. The average trade estimate for corn is that uh, we'll be sitting on 8.53 billion bushels. The USDA in March was 7.8. Soybeans trade estimate is 1.68 billion bushels. And in wheat, the trade estimate is 1.67 billion bushels uh, currently sitting around in those stocks here in this country. The one that a lot of folks are looking at as we plan for new crop, of course, is the planting intentions report also released on Friday. And we've got some of those numbers here. We've got uh, the average trade estimate for corn is currently at 90 point, uh, excuse me, 90.9, call it 90.1, call it 91 million acres rather, with a range of 90 to 92 and a half million. Looking at beans, the average estimate is at 88.2 with a range all the way from a low of 86 to a high of 89.3. And in wheat, uh, current trade estimate is 46 million acres ranging between 44 and and 48. So we'll see how all of this comes in on Friday, but that's kind of the numbers the trade is working with today as we trade through the rest of this week. You know, I think it's interesting. I think maybe it was Darren that mentioned that, but how do they ever guess these numbers? I mean, a lot of farmers haven't even planted yet. So I just, I I think, I think, you know, what he said, or take it with a grain of salt. I, I think 
that seems pretty relevant here to take those numbers with a grain of salt. I mean, I'm sure they're pretty accurate to an extent, but how do you really know? There's a lot of weather and other things that come up that change those numbers. There are. And so the way the USDA does the prospective plantings is it's just a survey. It's a survey of farmers, and uh, it's always dated March 1. So usually, if I'm like thinking, I don't know what I'm going to do, and I get the survey from USDA, and I look at the markets, like, you know, beans are wet. Yeah, I'm going to do 100% beans. I'd fill it out that way. And then by the time the end of March comes around, my planting mix could have completely changed. So it, it is just right. a survey, but they are numbers that the trade will uh, will probably use to make some movement in the markets on Friday. Speaking of markets, why don't you read market updates for today? You betcha. Let's start off in the corn market. Corn closed today at 357 and three quarters, up two cents. December corn at 381 and three quarters, up one and three quarters. May corn end of the day at nine, excuse me, May beans end of the day at 972 even, up half a cent. Novi beans at 972 and a quarter. There's that carry. Got a quarter cent of carry from May to Nov, up one and a quarter cents. In the wheat pit, May wheat closed at 424 and a half, up three and three quarters. December wheat at 472 and a half, up two and three quarters. Jumping on over into the livestock trade, after yesterday's pretty substantially down day, today we're mixed. April live cattle ended the day 30 cents lower at 120.77 and a half. June live cattle up 15 at 111.60. Looking at feeder cattle, April feeders down on the day, down 15 cents, closed at 132.95. And in the lean hog pit, we had April lean hogs down 55 cents, ending the day at 65.10. Now, Delaney, we just covered a whole lot of markets. We just talked a whole lot of different varieties of crops. Do we have anybody on today who can share even more insight onto the huge variety of crops produced in this country? Well, it's funny you ask that because, as a matter of fact, we do. We have Natalina Sense joining us here in just a moment. She is a longtime friend of mine, and she has been doing a photography blog tour for Beck's YI Farm. And she's been traveling to almost all 50 states, but will meet all 50 states here by the end of May. So let's cue up Natalina. Joining us now is probably my longest and oldest friend, Natalina Sense. We grew up together since, oh my gosh, it's been diapers probably, hasn't it, Natalina? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Before <laughs> Went to the same babysitter. Yeah, yep. Anyways, Natalina has been doing a YI Farm blogging tour for Bex, and we'll get to that in a second. But Natalina, tell us a little bit about yourself. Obviously, I know you pretty well, but our listeners may not know you. Yeah, yeah. So I grew up in southeast Iowa, same hometown as you, Columbus Junction, Iowa. Uh, went to high school, but uh, with you. Um, unlike you, I didn't grow up on a farm, though. And um, I had wonderful neighbors that invited me to be a part of agriculture and, you know, answer all my questions, um, riding the combine in the fall, bottle feed lambs in their basement. And um, so that's how I got to be involved in agriculture and um excited to be a part of the industry with you now. Yeah, definitely. And you went to Iowa State, but tell us what you yeah, majored you in and what you did. Yeah, I graduated in May of 2016 in the agricultural business program. Um, I was really involved in that program, but also 
um, had a lot of internships and experiences in the ag communication route, which kind of directed me towards what I'm doing now. Um, and in that time, the Ag Entrepreneurship Initiative was also a really influential part of my college experience. Cool. Now, you grew up helping the neighbors out. So how did that get you fired up? I mean, what what lit your fire with agriculture? Was it just you liked the work, you liked the challenge, you just, you love getting poop on your hands? What was it? <laughs> well, I'm not sure how much help I was for the neighbors, but they, it was always an inviting place, always a fun place. Um, they put up with all the questions I'd answer, or I'd ask. And um, as I grew up, those people encouraged me to join FFA and 4-H. And as Delaney knows, we had an amazing um, FFA advisor I'm still good friends with her to this day, um, Delaney. I have lots of fun memories with her. Um, in fact, I was just driving through Oklahoma a couple of weeks ago that brought some oh of those gosh. fun memories back. Yes, from <laughs> our, our time at Oklahoma. Yes. Mike, for you, just so, to give you, well, we had the National Land Judging Competition for FFA our junior year of high school. We were lucky enough to go to nationals, so we made lots of memories at a sketchy hotel that year. So, so you went to Oklahoma <laughs> to judge the soil? Yes. Isn't it just all red and terrible? Isn't that what you graded it? Oh, it's Oklahoma. It's, it's terrible. It's quite different than what we were used to here in <laughs> Iowa. <laughs> Natalie, you are very <laughs> diplomatic. <laughs> she is. Probably more so than I would be, but Yes. Okay, so you guys, you had a long time growing up together, many, many good memories, and now, boom, you're both adults, you're both graduated from college, you're both in the ag industry, and we know how Delaney's connected. Natalina, what's, what, what is this driving around the country that you're doing? Yeah, well, I am, I'm so lucky to have partnered with Bex Hybrids and their YI Farm movement, uh, which I saw in college, and... Um, I'm on a year-long 50-state road trip sharing farmer stories through blogs and photography. How long you are? Uh, how, how long you in each state? It works out to be roughly a week in each state. Um, some states like California and Texas are getting a little more of my time, and states like Delaware and Rhode Island, uh, I cut a few days from their schedule. <laughs> Natalina, um, obviously I've heard this story many times, but it's still one of my favorite things to hear you tell. So will you tell us why Bex inspired you? Tell me that story about when you were sitting in the classroom and watching that video, because I think it's a great story. Yeah, yeah. Well, let's back up one step. Um, when I went to Iowa State, I thought I would be the statistic that changed their major 13 times. I felt like this really strong internal conflict between – uh, my creative interests and my desire to do something kind of off the beaten path. Um, you know, a little bit of entrepreneurial spirit that I wasn't even quite sure what that was. Um, and this growing passion for agriculture that we talked about, you know, started when I was at my neighbor's house and, and grew through FFA. But I really thought I was going to have to choose between the two until one day I was at an ag business club meeting. And um, this new company I'd never heard of, well, they're not actually new, but new to Iowa, company that I had never heard of came and played these YI Farm videos. And they're just two to five minute videos of farmers simply sharing why they do what they do. And I'll never forget sitting in the basement of uh, Carver Hall 
and trying not to cry around all my classmates, you know, we're underclassmen at that point, you know, still trying to make friends and impress everyone. And I'm trying to not cry uh, at these videos. And, and I knew in that moment, that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to tell farmers stories like that and help people see that while what we do is based on facts and figures and science and all those great things, um, there's a lot of emotion and a lot of story that's wrapped up in why people farm and why people are a part of this great industry we call agriculture. So how long has Bex been uh, doing these kind of videos? I think they've been around uh, with the YIFR movement for about four years. So they did three years of video um, with farmers directly interviewing them. They had a couple different styles over those three years. And then uh, um, they did a music video with the Henningsons, which is definitely worth a YouTube search mm-hmm. if you haven't heard that song. Um, they're a seventh-generation farm family from Illinois that was like me, saw these videos and was inspired to put their own spin on it. And so um, during my internship with Bex, I actually got to meet the Henningsons and work with them on their music video, which was pretty special. And then the December before I graduated from Iowa State, I kind of pitched this idea of a year-long 50-state road trip talking about farmers' stories and and um, was so blessed to be able to partner with Bex and use their platform of, of the YSR movement to reach so many more people than I could on my own. Now, that's really cool. So you just, you created this, and then you went to Bex and said, hey, I've got a, I've got an idea. And they, they rolled with you? Is that how this developed? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's ah. definitely been a lot of collaboration and, uh, and partnership. They've been a great support system. But um, I was the crazy one that wanted to go to all 50 states and cross that one off my bucket list. And you're nearing the end of your trip now. Have you been to all 50 states as of now, or do you still have a couple more to cross off before you're done? Yeah, I still have some more to go. The road trip will end at the end of May. So I've got a couple months to go, and um, the the pace of the road trip is definitely picking up. So I've um, got a lot of miles to cover before before the end of May. In in your talks with farmers, what has been the why I farm story that just most grabbed you? Man, I I really hate that question, mostly because they're all unique. And I think what has grabbed me the most is not a single person, you know, and I've met over 100 farmers in the last 10 months or so. Not a single one has told me, you know, I thought this was a good idea to get rich and famous as a farmer. Hmm. Um, They're all farming for a reason that's bigger than themselves. You know, it's it's not a selfish industry. Um, As we've seen through the news, especially with the wildfires, I've been driving through that part of the country. And it's just incredible to see um, none of these people answer the why I farm question with a selfish answer. It's usually, you know, um, carrying on the legacy of a generation before or uh, allowing that legacy to continue, preserving it for the next generation. Um, it's their connection to the environment and taking care of God's creation and being a good steward of the land and um, maybe how they fit into the community and being able to feed their neighbors. And it's, I left on this road trip to share farmer stories and I knew they'd be pretty cool and um worth sharing and people needed to know about them. Um, but I never expected that they'd impact me so much personally. Wow. 
Um, I was just going to ask, you put that many miles on, you visit that many states, what's the craziest travel story that you have? Have you just had the day when the just... wheels came off everything? <laughs> I was just going to ask that. Um, boy, I've had quite a few uh, just odd encounters, I guess. There was one day as I was road tripping across the south, much like I am right now, I'm just sitting in my car, hanging out in a parking lot, drinking my coffee. And um, for those of you who don't know, I drive a little Ford Fiesta, um, and it's packed to the roof with and it's camera equipment and cookies and everything else I need. (laughs) Um, And I get quite a few looks uh, as people pass my car and head into the stores. But um, somewhere across the south, I can't remember what state it was, somebody knocked on my window and and basically said, we don't allow homeless to camp out here. (laughs) And uh, I had to move on. (laughs) I was just answering the email for about 15 minutes and – but, yeah, I was kicked out of a parking lot. So some people that might not follow you, they might not know your working conditions. You literally just pull over wherever you can, work at whatever Starbucks you can or McDonald's or Wi-Fi place. But what has that been like? I mean, spending all your time in a car or on the road. <laughs> yeah, that's a challenge I didn't necessarily anticipate as I should have. Um, and it's really given me sympathy for some of these farmers and ranchers who don't have internet um, or reliable internet on their farm. Um, But I, every day I'm in a Starbucks or McDonald's um, camping out with a backpack full of camera equipment and memory cards and charging all my batteries and my laptop and my phone and my external battery and uploading as many photos as possible and trying to respond to email um, it's been quite interesting. I basically know the whole Starbucks and McDonald's menu um, <laughs> and uh, am pretty good at hunting for outlets now, uh, which isn't a, a skill that I necessarily thought I would acquire on this road trip, but it's, it's certainly been an experience. So where are you traveling to today? Um, today I'm headed to Arkansas. I'm just uh, in a little town that's right on the border of Texas and Arkansas and um, was camped out in the Starbucks for a little while. Uh, but their background music was a little loud. <laughs> How do you find the There's farmers things like that, that you talk that, to? Yeah, that's been, that's been an interesting process. Um, I've been active on social media and particularly Twitter, the ag chat conversations that happened on Tuesday night for at least three years. And so through that, I've built up quite a quite a list of friends. I actually utilize the Twitter list feature and have people divided out by state. Um, then I kept track of who I was meeting in college, and um, as my friends have graduated from college and spread across the country. Um, and then also, I typically let the Farm Bureau and the Department of Agriculture in each state know that I'll be just touring around their state and taking pictures and probably blowing them up on social media. And so sometimes they just say, you know, great, go ahead. We're happy to share what you've got. Um, And others have recent award winners or officers or people who would be excited to share their story. Um, Then as the Why I Farm movement has grown and, and news of what we're doing has been spreading, we have people that reach out to the page directly. Um, 
my dad called me a couple days ago and said a friend of his had a friend in Montana that contacted him. So um, there's a story behind each Why I Farm story, how I got in contact with them. And uh, that's a story I hope to tell on my own someday. But it's it's been pretty cool to see the enthusiasm and um, excitement for getting those stories out across the country. Now, being to almost all 50 states now, what has agriculture been like or what have the what changes have you seen have you as you've been traveling through all these different states obviously people in Iowa produce different commodities and things than people in Maine yeah it's been so fun to I can't look at my plate now without uh you know picturing farms that I've been on I was looking at my plate yesterday at lunch and I had spinach and I've been to a spinach farm and it had goat cheese and I've been to a goat farm and it had apples, and I've been to an apple farm, and cranberries, and it, uh, I've been to a cranberry, couple cranberry farms. And so it's, I feel so privileged to be able to look at my plate and say, I know someone who grew each of these ingredients. Um, and it's been really fun to see, you know, I'm familiar with the corn community or, you know, the pork community in Iowa, uh, but to see there's a, a community of people that are passionate about cranberries or, or passionate about mushrooms. And um, I really took those people for granted. Even though I've said I'm passionate about agriculture, I'm I'm kind of embarrassed to say I've taken mushroom farmers for granted my whole life. Um, and I think all of us, if we think about it, um, can come up with a form of agriculture that we know nothing about, but we use regularly in our lives and, and never give a second thought to it. Um, and so it's just made me more thankful for the industry that makes my life pretty easy uh whether i'm thinking about it and outwardly acknowledging it or not and it's also been interesting um kind of on a on a different note um to visit the same kind of farms in several states so for example i've been to a farm that raises pigs in massachusetts and a farm that raises pigs in iowa and they're doing things very very differently but neither of them are doing it wrong um they're doing things that fit their community's needs, that fit their environmental needs, that um, are a good fit for their family. The farm in Iowa has seven or eight um, different individual families that are a part of this farm. And so they need to be a little bit bigger to support those families. And uh, the farm I visited in Massachusetts that has pigs has several other uh, species of livestock that are demanding their attention. And um, it's also just a single couple that are running this farm. So their needs and their um, ability to commit their time and their resources um, are a little bit different. But that doesn't make one farmer better than the other. And so that's been really eye-opening for me along the way. Yeah, they're all filling, they're all filling a niche and, and hopefully making a living. Yeah, yeah. Of, of all the farms you've seen, the states you've visited, is there some place you haven't been that you really, really are excited to go to or you're hoping you get the chance to go to? Some type of farm or uh, production style? Well, yesterday, actually, I crossed um, an olive farm off my list, and that was something that I was really, really looking forward to. Now I'm going to have to come up with another crop that I haven't visited, but that one had been on my bucket list for a little while. Was that in Texas? Um, it, was, it was. It was. Just huh. outside of Austin in Dripping Springs. It was a beautiful venue. Um, 
that if you're looking for a place to have a meeting or or want to taste some beautiful wines, um, beautiful olives, um, walk around in their orchards, I really really recommend the Texas Hill Country Olive Company. They were great hosts for me yesterday. The Texas Hill Country Olive Company. Yes. Interesting. So now you were outside Austin, Texas yesterday, and today you're what, near Texarkana, I suppose? Yes, yes. That's a long drive. Oh, it's uh, pretty short relative to some days. <laughs> <laughs> so that's what, five or six hours? Uh, I think so. And that's a short drive I listen for you. to so many podcasts and, and the radio and um, that sort of thing that it it flies by for me most of the time. <laughs> that's fantastic. Well, mm-hmm. <laughs> Natalina, is, so when are you done done? Uh, May 30th. May 30th. So, yeah, you've got, what, three months to go? I guess two full months, two and a half months. Yes, two and a half months. All right. Would you be willing, do you think, to come back on and give us an update once you're all wrapped up? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Awesome. Well, all right. I've got nothing else. Delaney, if, uh, if you don't, maybe we should let Natalina hit the road. Where's your stopover yes. tonight? Um, I'm not really sure. And I guess that's something if you want me to talk about it or we can save it for the next podcast. I learned right away. Um, it's kind of funny. I started, I pulled out of my driveway on May 15th with three months of plans down to the minute in an Excel spreadsheet. Like Google Maps everything, allowed 15 minutes for gas stops. It was ridiculous and the biggest waste of my time ever. Um, because as we know, life on the farm isn't predictable. And so things can change, you know, as, as needs with livestock change or as needs with the markets change or as the weather changes. And so within 10 minutes of leaving the driveway, um, that spreadsheet was junk. <laughs> um, and I learned because this is such a low budget um, adventure here that I couldn't afford to book all my hotels or um, Airbnbs ahead of time because then if I didn't get there, I was just out, you know, 80 to a hundred dollars, which wasn't, wasn't really working out for me. So um, Airbnb has been a great fit for this road trip. A lot of times I book three, four, five hours before I arrive and um, it's great to stay in someone's home. It's a little more uh, cozy and comfortable than, waking up every morning to four white walls that look the same as the four white walls you stayed at the night before, but you're not even sure what state this is. Um, so I've yet to book my Airbnb, but when I start getting sleepy, I'll, I'll start looking for a place to stop somewhere. Hopefully I get through the majority of Arkansas today. Okay, so you're northbound or eastbound? Um, north, northeastbound. 30 cuts across Arkansas, kind of kitty corner, from the southwest corner to the northeast corner. And um, my next confirmed interview is in Poplar Poplar Bluff, Missouri. So I'm headed there Mm -hmm. um, Thursday. Gotcha. Well, Natalina, thanks so much for taking the time to chat with us. Yeah, well, thank you um, for helping me amplify the stories of farmers and honor them across our country. Travel safe. Thanks. Take care. Bye, bye, Natalina. Bye-bye. Again, a big thank you to Natalina for taking time and pulling over on the side of the road to talk to us.
It's so fascinating to hear her stories about how agriculture is so different, but it sounds like the people involved in it have a lot of similarities. They're not selfish. They're doing this for reasons bigger than themselves, even if they're all doing something very, very different. They are. And I'm just, I'm jealous a little bit that she's getting to do this opportunity or she's gotten this opportunity, but, uh, you can follow her blog, her personal blog and her Why I Farm blog, both online. Her personal blog is at Roots Journey or Roots Journey. So, you know, check it out if you haven't read it yet. She has tons of great things on there and great stories. And I would imagine that if you are a farmer with a story to tell, you want to talk about why you farm, look her up and reach out to her. If she hasn't been to your state yet, you might be just the person she's looking for. You definitely might. Well, Delaney, as we uh, sit back here, it is Tuesday, right? It is. <laughs> it is Tuesday, so we've got a little bit of the week left ahead of us. What do we have coming up tomorrow? Well, as mentioned yesterday, tomorrow we are talking to a Northwest Missouri State professor, Connor Ferguson. He has a Ph.D. in, I believe, weed management and those agronomic solutions. So we will be talking to him about some newer agronomic herbicides and what's going on what what kind of the future of that industry looks like yeah agronomy is a fascinating topic as we alluded to yesterday it is changing so folks need to be prepared and hopefully connor will share some of his insights that's right so make sure and tune in tomorrow when we talk to him have a great day 